Can we leave that out? So, may I hit that again? Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. This? No, the metal one that kind of twists. So this one or this one? That one, yeah. This is like some Nordic silver. Oh, yeah. yeah, I like the twist. Brace. Yeah, I like how it twists. You can see different like Nordic symbols and oh yeah, runes. Runes. That's awesome. It's for my cold roots. Yeah, there you go. I uh. I also have some some Viking uh, ancestry. My uh, mother's side of the family, Scarborough. Oh, what uh, is from Scarborough? And uh, I think we Scott. talked about this. We did talk about this. The, the, we might, we might be ancient, some relation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, an ancient relation. Let's see it. Maybe in the book where it says Scarborough from coming from. Um, I wonder if it's the same family offshoot. It, it, it could be. It, it easily could be. Wow. The small world. Brother Julian. After all. Cousin Julian. Right, yeah, like we're all brother cousins. Right. On, on some level. Right, brother cousins, yeah, especially. Oh, you don't want uncle brother cousin. It gets a little creepy. It starts getting a little weird. Uncle brother cousin. <laughs> Like, uh, you want to watch the the Righteous Gemstones? Yeah, dude. So, uh, Uncle Baby Billy. Oh yeah, <laughs> dude, that show is hilarious. When the de when the devil guy's in the parking lot, and he's like, oh, oh, oh. fantastic dude, show. He's laughing so hard. I'm a huge, uh, I'm a big John Goodman fan. Same here. I need to watch. I never finished it. I gotta finish watching it. Pretty solid. They did a good job wrapping it up. That's good. Awesome. Well, uh, let's get started here. Let's do it. Since you're back and everything. Glad to be back. Glad to be have you back. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Nashville Artist. I'm Jordan, and today Julian Foster is here. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. As well. Thank you. Into the moment. Yeah, exactly. Here we are again. Sharing it with you. I dig it. It's great. Okay, so we talked about this last time, but where are you from? Um... I'm from a variety of places, I would say. Uh, my dad is from Texas. I have family there. My mom is from South Carolina. I also have family there. I was born in Tennessee um, and have spent a significant portion of my life here. Uh, but my parents divorced when I was really little. And then my mom remarried a Frenchman. And so we moved to France when I was five and spent a good amount of my schooling there up until high school. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of all over. Um, but I still also spent a, a good amount of time here in Nashville with my dad. Oh yeah. Both places kind of. And we lived in uh, Rouen in France, which is uh, in the northern part of France, in Normandy. Um, oh, wow. Kind of near the D-Day beaches. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Wow. So you're, you're fluent in French, right? Pretty much, yeah. I um, we moved, and then I was immediately in first grade. And I think your brain is so pliable at that age; you're like learning all kinds of shit all the time. That picking up like a second language wasn't really 
that crazy. I think it took about six months for me to be comfortable speaking in a classroom and like interacting with like schoolmates and stuff. I don't know. I've heard about um, the children of like diplomats or people who have like business jobs where they travel a whole bunch like in different places throughout the world. And in that kind of like age where you're you're learning different languages, uh, and they'll like pick up like three or four different languages just from like having lived in different places when they were young. Especially yeah. if you you know keep it up and like keep reading or right. Do you still do you keep it up? Yeah, I uh, I read. I try to watch uh, media and stuff. I don't really have anyone to speak with, unfortunately, on a regular basis. Yeah. So I sometimes do like when I'm on the phone with my brothers and sisters, um, or my mom. But, oh, yeah. Uh, Speaking of siblings, how many siblings? Or Oh, I have, both of my parents remarried and then had two children each, a boy and a girl. So four, four siblings. Uh, who are all about like eight, ten years younger than me. Um, they're uh, they're all very cool people. I, I get along with them really well. And uh, my sister in France does like um, programming and very very sciency oriented tech stuff. Yeah. Um, she's working on her master's degree. Uh, and my brother from France um, works in business, and he lives in South Carolina actually. Um. And then my brother from Nashville is a musician as well, uh, Jack. Um, he multi-instrumentalist, plays a bunch of different stuff, and uh, produces uh, rock records, rap, all kinds of stuff. Everything. Oh, yeah. He's a whiz. Um, and also does like video editing and uh, all kinds of really cool stuff. Um, and my sister, uh, Mojo, uh, from Nashville, uh, also is super creative. And um, she has been doing like acting stuff and trying to, to get involved in that world and uh, also plays music and, and writes. So awesome. definitely blessed to be surrounded by kind of people who I, I love and who are also like doing creative things. Yeah. It's creatively stimulating. And your parents are also artistic, right? Yeah. Uh, or at the very least, very artsy and into the arts. Um, my, my dad is, a, like we were just saying, is a country musician. Yeah. Um, and sort of growing up, I had a lot of opportunity to um, be around music and the world of recording and production and shows and that kind of thing at a young age. So I think that was very influential. Um, my stepmom is uh, was a music writer for a while uh, in the '90s, um, and uh, now she does a lot of logistical things uh, for my dad, like website and merch and organizing his tours and stuff like that. Nice. Um, and my mom and stepdad have always just sort of been uh, really into art and love movies and music and uh you try to instill that in me yeah yeah so what were you like as a little kid 
What were you into as a Probably weird. <laughs> um, oh. I, th- I think I was like uh, a little bit precocious and so didn't like hanging out with children my age and like was the type of child to, s- to say really weird things that like unsettling things to adults. Um, and also got into trouble just because I was like bored in school a lot and not challenged enough by it, I think. So it would be a smart ass. Or, oh, yeah. or like, you know, prankstery behavior. Mischievous. Yeah. Um, which is, it, it wasn't malicious, but I think I was just distracted and not really like in an environment where I was surrounded by like minded people or learning things that I really wanted to learn. Yeah. Um, college was a much better environment. I met a bunch of people who also wanted to make music and was learning about like music and art and stuff. And oh. I think that was in a, in a much better place mentally, I think. Well, I had a weird childhood too. Just the being in two different countries and like, yeah, but it was it was odd. Like I, I didn't I had very few people I could relate to because no one else really had that experience. Um, but it, ultimately, it was really fun. I think like I I was exposed to like a wide variety of like art and culture at a young age. Got to travel around Europe when I was in high school. Um, went to England, Germany. Belgium, uh, Czech Republic, Poland, and uh, oh, Scotland. What were you? Uh, what did you like to do? Since you didn't like to play with others, what were you into? Well, uh, I definitely have always been into just like media, like an avid consumer of media. I think, like, uh, like when you're a little kid. Yeah, my parents always had huge. Uh, CD and vinyl collections uh, from being really into music and then also them being in the music business got a bunch of promo stuff in the 90s when people were making like shitloads of CDs and giving everyone promo. So I even like would discover weird things that they weren't even into that I would just like find a cool looking CD and, and it would be like Ween or uh weird electronic music like massive attack oh yeah um, dude so oh, I, yeah. I was always like uh i i think blessed before the internet to have like a huge amount of, in, of media to consume uh and was always like an avid reader as a kid and and loved like uh comic books manga anime that kind of thing so basically just a super nerd. I understand. Super, super nerd. That's awesome. You knew how to entertain yourself. Yeah, I've been, I've been on pretty good at that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good skill. I, I, I think it's all the plane rides. Like oh, yeah. that eight-hour plane ride from You like, probably get used Paris to talking to strangers. To Atlanta or New York. Yeah, I'm pretty comfortable talking to people. I'm introverted, so I don't really like talking to people I don't know that much. Um, and going out is sometimes a struggle, but it, I definitely don't have any issues being conversational. 
Yeah. I've just always been surrounded by like, oh, someone's trying to talk to you. You should have some shit to say right now. <laughs> nice. Cool. So when you were younger, were you into music or what first got you into? Oh, yeah. I've, I've been I've been into music like as long as I can remember, I think. like. Well, like playing instruments? Um, I started taking piano lessons when I was in elementary school. I forget exactly what grade. Um, after a couple of years of piano lessons, I didn't really like my piano teacher. So I, I quit that and joined the uh, marching band in our local town um, and learned to play the trumpet. Uh, and that was really fun. Probably, I did that until I was 12 or 13, and I got braces. And you can't play the trumpet with braces on. It destroys your, your lips and, and is painful. And so I had braces for a really long time. I had braces for like five years wow. plus. Um, and so unfortunately, by the end of that, I had like lost any ability to play the trumpet. Um, but in the interim, I picked up the guitar, and I've played guitar ever since. Nice. Um, and kind of continued to play uh, piano or keyboards too, but more in just a like self-taught, for fun capacity and like taking lessons. Right at that age, what music or art or anything were you like? That's really cool. I want to be like that. Or I think originally probably just things that my parents liked, like. Uh, I remember really being into Paul Simon when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. Um, Graceland is still one of my favorite albums. Uh, so that that's probably like an early one. Um, as far as music that I kind of like discovered and wasn't something that like necessarily that my parents had showed me. Yeah. Uh, I'd say Nirvana was a big one. Oh. Like on, the, on the cusp of teenagerdom, you know. Uh, got really got into Nirvana and, and like Green Day short, shortly thereafter, and kind of a variety of just more recent rock music that my parents didn't really listen to. Um, I think that, and that was probably influential on uh, me learning to play at least, because that would be about when I was learning to play guitar and really getting into it. Um, I would have been I would have been learning like Green Day songs and like the White Stripes and like that. When you said school or interim, is that like a semester class where you take guitar or something? Oh, um, yeah, I uh like, did you play in a band or anything in, in school in high no, school? No, just um like one on one lessons with like a local guitar player guy who, who taught kids. Nice. Um and honestly, that, that was pretty beneficial. He did a good job at presenting it as uh, just find what you want to learn and like figure it out. And and that was a very a very good sort of task oriented approach. Like just pick a song and like he, I would bring it in and he'd be like, all right, well let's break it down. Like what are the what's going on here? You can maybe like look up the chords online. Um, and, but like beyond that, I think just teaching you to listen to something and replicate what you're trying to listen to, um, 
which I, I think has been really beneficial. I, I, I mostly play by ear. Um, I, I have learned and kind of understand theory, but it, it, it's easier to just listen and then try to do stuff. Um, nice. But I, yeah, I think that that learning that kind of translated into jamming and enjoying like uh, improvisational music and having wanting an element of improvisation in the way I play, kind of. When did you um, start playing guitar, like outside of music and jamming with others? Uh, high school. I uh, I was in a boarding school for three out of my high school years, and uh, they had a music room and a couple other kids that played instruments. Um, so that was my first experience kind of playing with a real drummer and uh, jamming with people, I guess. Uh, but really, college, went to a music school, and uh, that was like a, a good experience, being surrounded by just like a lot of people who were learning and had a bunch of different styles of playing. Like it taught me a lot about music, and then like that I kind of needed to figure out what I wanted to specifically learn or do, you know, and like, as someone who had kind of broad tastes, uh, it took, it kind of took me a while to figure out what I wanted to write and what I wanted to, to play. And that wasn't until college when you like started yeah. being around um, jamming with others and Yeah, I think just being around a lot of different people and being exposed to way more music than I had ever heard of before. Even coming from like a musical background, like my parents had a very like boomer Gen X music taste, oh, yeah. and exposed me to a lot of like rock, pop, um, type stuff. But it was those were not. I really got into like experimental music and electronic music and things that don't appeal to boomers and Xers for the most part. Um, and kind of just, I don't know, yeah, weird stuff. Like, you know, you're in college and people are dropping acid and smoking a lot of weed and listening to, like, noise music and shit. And <laughs> the guy in the dorm next to you is like, dude, check this out. And right. Some crazy shit you've never heard of. Exposure and, from so much. I think, I think that experience of being, like, surrounded by so many different things. And, like, that was, like, the boom of the availability of things online, like, Mm -hmm. I my first year of college was 2009 and so that's when it, there were things like Groove Shark starting to pop up where just most oh. music you could just especially popular music you could just search and listen to their whole discography for free and that was like a mind-blowing experience or like, go to YouTube there's so much shit to explore when you're like, you I can... know, like almost overwhelmingly so like, but I, th I think that that was definitely when I loved, like, I, 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 my love for, uh, like, musical rabbit holes and, like, learning about, like, different subgenres and musical cultures and shit developed. Because you're just sitting there and you're exposed to all this different music and you're like, wow, I want to, I'm going to Google this and, like, where, who are these people? Why do, why do they sound so weird? What instruments are they even playing? You know? What uh, noise music would you say, or like, are you 
you have um, are you thinking of noise music uh i mean at the more accessible end probably like tobacco and black moth super rainbow that's probably like what first got me into like some more experimental type stuff um and like uh warp, warp records type electronic music like apex twin boards of canada oh yeah dj shadow oh yeah dj dude when i was in two, i think this was probably 2009 maybe 2008 my ringback tone was a dj shadow song it's like are you ready for that hell yeah yeah oh yeah was... so all of the the drum programming on that is amazing yeah so, side note the that whole introducing album uh was produced on a super old uh mpc and so it's I think it's something like you would only save like 16 bars into a project or something like that. So it's something insanely small. So all those songs were made like in different little snippets that he had to like then like place together. Wow. It really like, it blows my mind. You really have to chunk it up. What a a tedious process it would have been. And that shit sounds so fluid. Like it sounds like drumming. Right. It does. But it's like a, you forget it's sampling pretty wild but i mean he's also incredibly like good at like actually performing and sure. playing samples and shit too so i think a lot of oh, that, yeah. that, that that's what adds like feel to it. definitely that's like how you can listen to apex twin and even though it might feel really staticky or whatever it's still like until a human behind it yeah i think that's what makes it interesting like i feel like the like one of the tricks point ever. Yeah. It's like now we're listening to a waterfall. Love that. And it's like twinkling sound and then like yeah. The the use of like ambience like that is super cool. Yeah. My like first like kind of experience with that, I when I was younger I was really into Enya. Oh hell yeah. Yeah. It was tricky, man. Yeah, it was. And she has like yeah, background music that's like Plus she has like the whole like mystique thing of yes. like, living in a castle in Ireland kind of Yeah, dude. Cool yeah. Like sure. yeah, that music used to like take me away as a kid. That was another one that uh parents had like a weird CD of that like wasn't necessarily something that they listened to. Yeah. But I like discovered and was like, whoa. Yeah, dude. And yeah. Bjork also. Oh yeah, had Bjork. A Bjork CD and that really blew my mind. I think it was post with like the pink Japanese looking lotus flowers and stuff on it. I think I know what you're talking about. It's very yeah. futuristic looking. Man. Yeah, I remember going on LimeWire and downloading India, As one does. And yeah, records Dude, or any CDs. That's wild. Thought about that in a minute. Yeah. Like eighteen years ago. It's it's eighteen years ago. Odd how everything is available to us now, you know. Yeah, there's still some things that are kind of tricky though. Um, and I, I like the use of uh, I think some of the things that she sings are kind of like in like a vocalese, like not really in a language. Some of it is in uh, um, I think it's Gaelic, oh, yeah, or like a, a dialect. She's from Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, but some of it is like like the syllables of that kind of like with Sigaros where like it's like syllables of Icelandic but not really any actual words oh yeah 
Yeah, that's true. Cause I like stuff like that. You can't even pick up like, it's very what, mystical. what word it is. It just it's sounds like, like the wind or something. Yeah, it's, it's just like emotional singing stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very vibey. I feel like whenever I listen to Cigarettes, I can't remember the song, but I just feel like when a whale jumps out of the water or like Dude, yes. it blowing water out of its thing. They definitely, like, they definitely have like... It's legit. Arctic nature vibes. Yes, very Arctic nature. I feel like I'm like, yeah, seeing the northern lights or something. That's that's accurate, I'd say. Yeah. Okay, cool. So why would you say your music is really into music and art? Um well, I guess I um I made the weird decision to like go to school or go to college to learn about music and art, which in hindsight probably wasn't the best like long-term like survival choice. Um, But at that point I was just like, well, I feel very invested in this and I've learned so much about it and it's, I've I feel passionate about it. It's, it's effortless to learn about. And I, I, it's what I want to spend my time doing, so it feels like the right thing to do, I guess. Nice. Um, it just feels like the way. The way, yes. Last time we talked about the Space Cadet Quintet. Yeah. And that's been something you've been doing recently? Definitely. Um, yeah, I started uh, in, in quarantine in 2020, uh, started playing music with my dad and my younger brother. Uh, and uh, we all really like sort of tropical jazz lounge stuff, um, and that seemed like a fun thing to try to attempt to do. Uh, my younger brother plays trumpet and kind of has some jazz chops. Uh, Jack. Yeah, Jack, and we have a variety of uh, of instruments and and recording stuff at our our disposal. So. It just, it kind of started like, we were like, hey, let's see if we can write some songs like this. Uh, and then we ended up making a whole EP short album. Um, and that that was really cool. It was, a, it was a cool way to like incorporate a lot of what I had learned making uh, trip hop and electronic music um, into a recording setting and like in a, another genre. And it was also a bit of a challenge, like learning, uh, like some jazz chord uh, progressions, and and trying to write or or play more jazzy elements. That something I don't, I never really typically uh, felt very comfortable playing. So that was that was a really cool experience, and I think again, it it showed me that. You can just set your mind to something and and be like, wow, I love this art. I'm going to learn how to do it. Um, There's no, I think the only, the only boundary is just like sitting down and practicing. Yeah. So who are the other two members? Oh, so yeah. uh, Jack, my little brother who I mentioned earlier is sort of a multi-instrumentalist and producer. Uh, and then my dad, um, who... It's the quintet part. 
oh yeah uh so that's actually just sort of an imaginary ensemble <laughs> um, i was like it rhymes with space cadet and we did actually record with some other people on the album uh steve fischel who's an incredible uh pedal steel guitar player um he uh has produced a bunch of really amazing country albums over the years and uh, plays pedal steel and lap steel with uh Amy lou harris oh wow um and he is just a wizard like a a total uh just a a, a force to be reckoned with behind the the slide oh, who played uh drums um so a variety of people uh jean-marc uh who is uh a friend of uh uh, Jacks and they they were in a band uh, for a while and are kind of childhood friends. He played um, some of the more live feeling drums. Um, some of the drums were programmed, and then some of the drums are things that we kind of amalgamated with, like Jack playing some stuff and me playing some percussion and layering some some break beats and stuff like that. Nice. So. But yeah, a variety of, of, of percussion, I'd say. And uh, then we did, we worked with uh, Lily Ophelia and uh, Jack's uh, girlfriend, Kara, uh, who are uh, really incredible singers. Yeah. Um, and they did some very vibey uh, sort of uh, tropical vocal parts, like pa-pa-pa, beachy stuff, that uh -huh. really, it really added a... Uh, a cool retro uh summertime feel like just like it makes you smile to hear stuff like that right. and they they sing together a lot anyway so their harmonies are really really tight and it, it was really easy to work with them and record with them it's awesome what uh so what influenced it like a lot of uh like Tropicalia and uh, like Exotica records from the 60s. So a lot of music from Brazil. Um, uh, I would say some of the main uh, the main names would be uh, like Martin Denny is is a huge influence. Um, and the three of us all really like this guy called Esquivel, uh, who wrote stuff for orchestras, uh, but would include a lot of found sounds and weird percussion and Latin instruments and like rock and jazz elements into his sort of orchestral arrangements. So it's this very like huge ensemble stuff with little things that come in just for like a snippet to play a little phrase here and there, almost like Zappa stuff where it's like super produced to this almost cinematic level of listening where there's sounds happening all over the place but that are very musical and very written to what's going on but in in a kind of quirky way yeah quirky i, I definitely got the thing we talked about this last todd terge todd terge for sure that's an excellent example of like Somebody who is probably also influenced by some of those Very, things, yeah. but also bringing like a modern synth element to it. Um, and that's kind of something that we wanted to do too, is like pay homage to like a lot of that older music that we liked. And yeah, you said spy stuff. 
definitely like yeah. James Bond atmospheres and stuff. Like Girl from Ipanema. Um, but then also adding like more of a modern context, like yeah. elements from we mentioned massive attack, like trip yeah. hop stuff. Yeah. Uh, and more modern sounding synths and so I think it, it it did end up being like kind of a cool combination of things, and the, it was it was kind of written and recorded that way too, where it's like a combination of musicians and traditional recording styles, and then sort of more in the box software, um, uh, modern production stuff. So it, it's kind of cool to live in both of those worlds. Yeah. Yeah, because there was definitely modern elements. I like the speed and pacing of it and everything. You can tell some some parts are actual, like the voices bring the natural element. We, we tried not to make it too much any one particular thing. So there'll be little elements here and there where it's like, oh, that sounds like a drum and bass break or like that sounds like a, you know, a... 303 acid synth or something but without necessarily making a whole track that plays to those uh genre themes you know yeah now how do you um develop your music skills or art skills uh by just being like super obsessive honestly uh I it's hard not to and it's hard to put it down when I am focused on art or music um, and usually what stops me is like the real world intervening and being like hey you have to go eat food or you know go to work or something like that right. um, but yeah I, I do it every day and uh, it is nice to sort of have a variety of creative outlets, I think. I think that allows me to be creative every day because I don't have to focus on one thing always. Uh, I like writing for a bunch of different instruments that I don't necessarily have the ability to play with digital software. I like practicing guitar and lap steel and like learning to be a better keyboard player. Um, and I also like writing lyrics and also like drawing and so if you're not feeling like doing one of those things but you feel like you want to have like a creative moment it's cool to have all those options yeah um and I, if i get tired of one it's nice to be able to kind of like well i'm gonna keep the creative juices flowing but i'm kind of stuck on that so i'm gonna just do this for a while right and well, that's that's refreshing for your mind yeah it keeps things fresh not just focus on one thing do you have routines or anything? Kind of. I, I try to. Uh, I, I, I don't have like a set routine um, necessarily. Um, my schedule changes a lot uh, depending on whether or not I'm uh, touring, doing like uh, roadie and tech stuff for my dad. Uh, or whether or not I'm in town and I work in with like a, uh, a catering business um, that event based. Um, and then I'm also working around my wife's schedule. So it's kind of changing all the time. And yeah. so I just kind of have to be like, well, 
now's the time to hear have creative time now do it you know uh and that kind of can not always be when you expect it or and it does it kind of prevents me from having like a set routine i guess um but i definitely try to do at least something creative for like an hour or two every day nice when you play with your dad how often or when you go on the road with your dad how often is that you do that it depends it's more often in spring and summer just because lots of concerts and and stuff um and then he typically uh focuses on writing and other creative projects in in the winter um so that's a little bit more stagnant where do Um, y'all usually travel to mostly in texas uh mostly in texas uh he does a lot of acoustic shows by himself uh where he'll travel uh kind of all over the states um and has even played like in uh, i think norway and ireland and a variety of places overseas uh, but most of the shows where he needs like extra hands on deck or like there's bigger production um with a full band uh is in texas um so i do guitar tech stuff and roadie and kind of some road manager things and uh when we have the equipment available uh, i do video stuff um some of the shows that we've been doing uh, for this past tour, which is the 30th anniversary of his first solo album, uh, are in theaters. Uh, kind of like sit-down, old-school theater type of venues. Um, so those typically have screens and projectors or like LED screens. Um, and so it's really cool to have like a visual accompaniment element. Uh, and I like that sort of, I like tech stuff. So yeah. it, it's fun to do that. We project like a, Clips from his old music videos, nature footage of drones flying over the Grand Canyon and wild horses and stuff like that. Very Texas country centric imagery. Yeah. Um, without trying to be, you know, too too pandering. Like like get some riled up. Yeah. Well, honestly, what most gets him riled up is the old music video clips, I think, because it's really cool to see him, you know, doing funny young dude music video, early 90s stuff. Oh, yeah. It's, it's kind of a hoot. And it, 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 it's, it's fun for the, the anniversary tour. He, it, it, they're doing it where the first half of the show, they, they like perform the whole album front to back and then have like a little hits segment at the end. Oh yeah, man. So people have been following him for a while. Definitely. Actually, this is crazy. Um, this summer, one of the shows that we played, uh, it was this girl's five hundredth Radney show. Um, she started seeing him in the late eighties, pretty much when he started making music, and she was like a young teenager. Wow. Um, and is just has seen multiple shows on like pretty much every single tour wow um so that was that was a crazy moment it's almost like like you don't usually hear about stuff like that outside of like you know the grateful dead or like people who are like yeah i've seen fish 1500 times right (laughs) yeah it's true that was Um, that's that's awesome i love fish i'm not really hating on them oh yeah um that's that's awesome that someone's like this is my 500th show 
It, it was wild. It's like, what? It You're keeping wild. track. We haven't been. That's really what <laughs> blew my mind is after a certain point, like there's some artists that I've gotten a little obsessed with over the years and have gone to see multiple shows, probably the most of which would be at least sets like Tipper. I've seen 17, 18, maybe 20 times or something like that. But that's also, I've been to like his festivals where he plays multiple different, sets. different yeah. sets. Um, but even then, you know, it's like almost 20 and I'm losing count. So I'm like, how are the 500 and you, you counted right. the good math skills. The like Mark on their little tally board. Right. I want to see the tally board. I was kind of like, <laughs> dang, yeah. where, yeah. Fascinating. It's, it's cool though. It's I haven't even been to, I don't know. I've definitely not been to 500 shows and I've been going to shows my whole life. Yeah. Like, like I love it, but like, that's wild. Wow. Dude, that's, man, that's probably a thousand hours. Yeah. Easy. He, he usually plays at least an hour and a half. So. Dang. They're like an expert at listening to your dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. It's a trip. It's cool, though. Like, it, it's neat to see, uh, all, it, it's neat to see how his music has affected people. Rodney and, Foster. Yeah. It, it's a lot of fun and I, I don't know i like traveling and yeah. getting to eat a bunch of mexican food and um hearing opening bands and yeah shooting the shit with like old musicians who have weird stories of touring with ridiculous people in the 80s and right. the, the music business in the 80s was a fucking crazy place from, yeah. from what i've heard but yeah that's what i've been hearing too <laughs> um 80s and 90s they're like yeah he's on drugs okay good <laughs> we're safe yeah they're like okay he's easier to manipulate you know <laughs> let him do it you know it's nuts it's it's cutthroat my one of my favorite music business related quotes is uh hunter thompson's uh i forget which book it is but he says uh the music business is a uh, a long and shallow money trench where uh Bad men run wild and good men die like dogs. There's also a bad side. Wow. It's all bad. Yeah. Probably 90%. I think that's that's pretty accurate. It's there's a lot of there's a lot of people who are getting taken advantage of, I think even now. Um oh, in, yeah. in, in the performance industry. Probably, yeah, for sure. Especially if they only are good at their craft and, and not outside like not, business, not business skills and all and that. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's easy to be taken Yeah, you can of. be easily. I mean, I you, mean could, you could be a like a or like you know like Britney Spears who like it can't like it was for the longest time wasn't even like couldn't see her children and stuff because her parents were so in control of her career and her life. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh. So. Of all time, what would you say your biggest band artist influences are? Ah, that's that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, Massive Attack. Honestly, yeah, uh, definitely. A, 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 that's a big one. I would say it, different different artists for different realms and genres and and boxes in my brain. Um, 
for bands specifically, Grateful Dead is is definitely a huge one. Um, when I was younger, in the summer, I would uh, work for this pizza place, Pie for the People, and uh, oh, yeah. work at uh, music festivals like Bonnaroo and kind of travel around with them. I got to see a lot of music uh, and a lot of uh, Grateful Dead cover bands. And also just at, at music festivals and the campgrounds, like people are always playing old dead tapes and stuff and, uh, and dead recordings. And it's a funny culture. So I, I kind of got wrapped up in that for a while. And the music is um, like a cool blend of a lot of things that I enjoy anyway. Like if there's, I love the improvisation, the experimentation, the blend of like, American music styles from like country, jazz, blues, rock, like everything kind of blending into one big cool thing. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's a big one. Um, when I was younger, probably you know, like I said earlier, like Nirvana and, and Green Day, wow. um, the White Stripes, um, and more of a. In, in the realm of like electronic music, I think uh, Boards of Canada is a, is a pretty big one. Um, just the sort of like totally alien and surreal world that they create. It's like their own unique sound. Um, but in, in, in electronica, especially just any artist that does something like really, really distinctive and really kind of quirky. That's what I love about Tipper and Aphex Twin and um, um, things that are just like, what kind of music is Tipper? Uh, kind of a variety of things. Uh, his earlier stuff is like breakbeat dance music. Um, and then as it progresses, it's more sort of multi-genre and really focused on sound design. Mm-hmm. Um, he has just sort of a super unique knack for making things that are like sound really, really weird. In, in like a, a brain tickling kind of way. Interesting. I'll have to check him out. I've definitely I definitely heard of him, but I didn't. He's also an insanely talented turntablist. Oh, wow. um, and especially in his live performances, he incorporates that to oh, like a, it's, it's wild. It's like, I don't know if you're familiar with like the DMCs. Uh, that's like the world championship for uh, turntablists. Oh, and, wow. and like he, he is up there. I, I don't, he hasn't actually been, but like having seen some of other artists that are of that ilk, like um, I got to see DJ Kubert, who's kind of like a legendary turntablist. Um, Tipper is is definitely has has the skills, the the, the magic wrist. Waka waka. Um, and that's really it, that's a lot of fun too in like a sort of dance rave environment. Yeah, it adds like I mean, a live element. It adds like an element with feel it's yeah. improvised. But, and also more than any other electronic artist that I know of, um, he strives to make every single show unique and is constantly creating new material or editing old material uh, to provide something that is, I'd say each show is consistently 70 to 80% new material or edited material that most fans have not heard before wow and his dedication to that really is impressive and also just makes the shows really fun because you don't know what to expect it's always something like totally different wow 
That's awesome. Being able to change your own music just slightly. It's it's more than slightly, honestly. Like, like there's there's times where you'll hear something and you're like, oh sweet, it's gonna be this song. I recognize that sound. But then it's like a totally different arrangement. The drums are vastly different. It's in a different tempo, even, or like it it and it's very fun to hear stuff like that that you your brain thinks it can anticipate and it feels like it has an element of familiarity, but then also is a new experience that you don't know what to expect. Yeah. I mean, it keeps you on your toes and it, it keeps it fun to listen to. It's interesting that also in the electronic scene, because it's, it's, it's easy to think they just press play. Yeah. Well, and I don't think that that's something that a lot of people strive for. Um, I think you can do that actually easier as a DJ because you can have like a vast catalog of things that you could at any moment, if you're good, say, we're at this tempo in this key. I've got 30 different vibes that I could line up next seamlessly. So, you know, depending on you can read the crowd, you yeah. can react to what people are enjoying. And that's that's a cool kind of improvisational element, but it's really hard to have that level of improvisation and still have it flow well. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. And and like some the people who manage to do that are it's it's incredibly impressive. But I think it's very easy to try to add an element of improvisation and then just have it be like, well, they're just using a filter or something or like huh. you're just yeah. sort of adding delay to something and it's not particularly that different right you know? so gotta do an overhaul yeah so. but i yeah i like that that anything that sort of adds that element especially in a world that tends to be repetitious or where you would just play the track that people are trying to add novelty and add improvisation and stuff like yeah, that yeah or just playing the hits you know. Yeah, I think that really speaks to it too. Like, it's cool that there are artists that are becoming successful without having to play the same songs over and over and over again. And I think that's what people really like about jam bands is it's a different set every night. And um, I mean, shit, even like the new uh, Taylor Swift tour, uh, people are so excited to go to multiple shows because each night she plays two different songs from one of the whatever the era they're doing oh yeah um and that alone is like so so exciting for the fan base to have like an element of wow it is going to be different every night and like we're gonna and i think people like that yeah i, I was joking and probably likes it too I, I was joking a lot of my uh a lot of my wife co my wife's co-workers are really big into uh taylor swift and so they're really excited about the tour and the um, her doing the Taylor's versions of her CDs and stuff. Um, but it, it, it very adjacently, like it, it's, I hope it turns into like a jam band type scenario because there are like crowds of people who are following her around who are like trading friendship bracelets and having like near religious experiences screaming taylor swift lyrics there's literally people like a phenomenon of people who are like blacking out and being so overwhelmed by the experience of being there that they don't remember it 
Um, and they're like having a lot, like they come to the show early in like, uh, like tailgate and stuff. And I'm like, man, somebody needs to go and like, just turn, she should just never stop touring and play different, just become Taylor Swift, the jam band. Yeah. What does Taylor's version mean? Oh, um, it's actually pretty cool. Uh, I think when she was younger, from what I understand, uh, she was forced by her record label to make a lot of uh, musical decisions that were geared towards what they thought her audience wanted or uh, just, you know, that's kind of how the pop world works is right. there's people telling you we need to do this. Um, so she, is this a remastering? She's, yeah, she, more than remastering, she's re-recording all of them and and producing them the way she wanted them to be produced. And... I haven't listened to all of it, but I have heard some that both they sound better, I think, because she's a stronger vocalist now yeah. than when she was younger. And also, um, it's, uh, yeah, it, you can tell that there were like stylistic decisions that she wanted to make that they she didn't get to. And it's kind of cool to have the ability to, to re-fine-tune your stuff and make it the way you want. And hopefully that sets a precedent for other artists to maybe be, have more say or maybe stand up for themselves a little bit for more sure. and say, look, no, people want what I make. Like, I am the artist. Like, please let me make the art. Right. Which I, I think that's a good thing. And she definitely has the the fan base and the power to project things to a, a wide variety of people. So I think if, if that's a thought that she, yeah, she, pops into more people's minds, that's probably a good thing. Yeah. She has definitely influence. So I'm sure she can be like, yeah, if it's not working out with you guys, I'll find some other people. It's a funny phenomenon, though, as a whole. I'm, I'm, I'm a little tickled. It's like uh, from a like a ethnomusicologist perspective, you know. Someone holds the keys to your creation. It's, a, it's an interesting. Like that wouldn't happen. You can't take. You can't do that. In, like indigenous countries. But I think there's also like an element of like some people do need mentors, you know, that's or true. like some people do need a producer to be like, oh, that's a bad decision. Actually, don't do that. Right. You know? And so like the fine line. It's right? like being micromanaged in the beginning and then when they see that you can kind of handle it, you kind of do your own thing. Yeah. I think hopefully like people realize that maybe you need an outside help to produce a whole record that isn't a given necessarily that a writer or a singer or a guitarist would be able to produce good records. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that like, I think it works best when it's like a creative thing when they want to have that person there telling them, Ooh, what if we brought in this instrumentalist or stuff like that that they wouldn't think of rather than a record label producer or somebody who's just there to say, eh, this isn't quite marketable enough. Yeah. That's terrible. Right. That doesn't help. That doesn't give any direction. No. Okay. So outside of music or maybe in music too, where do you find inspiration for your art? Um, variety of things i would say just the other types of media that i'm consuming i think uh, 
there's there's definitely an element of I don't I don't think there's like specific things that I'm trying to include, but more so that like just through being a fan of visual art and reading and comics and movies and stuff that all of that sort of trickles into my brain and gets jumbled around and then ideas that are like recombinations of those things pop up and you're like, oh yeah, cool. It's like you gotta have the time to expose yourself to random stuff. So, yeah, and know. I it, life experiences too. I think to a degree, like you you gotta go out and live a little bit yeah, to, to write a song, them. yeah, or or to to make music. You get, you have to like feel something to write emotions that feel real. Right, so. you can't really write about something you haven't felt. Or yeah, oh, well, I think you can, well, I mean, you and can, I mean, especially if you're a good writer, you that's know. That's true, getting in that perspective. But, yeah, like some people are really good at just like researching something and then putting themselves in that other person's shoes, even though they haven't done that. But I don't think that's everybody. Yeah. And it, I think it helps for most people to have had some some sort of experience with it. Or even if the experience is like, you're super passionate about that subject you've read a bunch of books about it and you've watched all these documentaries and you know uh, the people who are involved in whatever it is, you know. Um, even if you're not, like, one of those people, that might be enough experience for you to, like, create art about it that's heartfelt. Yeah, that's true. But direct experience, maybe. Like, maybe not you're the, the creator or the, like, instigator, but, like, I think it does help to have that, like, direct contact or, like, knowledge base yeah i guess it would depend on the experience too i mean well because some things it's like well all you could do is study them right like old old shit history and whatnot like all of our best historians weren't there right right um but i don't know there there's definitely something to be said by like the people who are actually over there. I think that's why we value like firsthand accounts in, yeah. in history and why it's fun to watch documentaries where like even if it was just like the janitor who was standing there while they were doing something, he's like, and I remember the day that they did this and it was they made Freebird and he was like, Holy shit. Yeah. That's fucking cool, right? right. I, mean, I made that up. I don't know if that's real or not. It could be. It sounded there's there's some music has been so mythologized that there's so many moments like that like the movie walk hard almost all right so it's so typified as like there's like these like beats almost that you have to hit in your career yeah where people introduce drugs to you then this happens then someone's like part of this shit do it's like it's like sign this contract exactly Right. So, but to a degree, that's just the way the world works, you know. I mean, that's why they that the the those are people before you had to experience that shit, and that's yes. why you're gonna have to deal with it's it too, because it it's like you can't you can change you, but you can't really change the world that much. No, you can't change other people either. Yeah, you can only okay. How do I overcome this? Yeah, that's the that's the question. Always. Okay, I remember you, last time you talked about your ancient music. Oh yeah, and the ancient uh, videos or like good old. Um, so I, yeah, I started. I think about a year ago. Um, I was writing some new music for like an ambient uh, concert performance, 
uh, and I stumbled upon the idea of just like, what are the, the most ancient pieces of music that we have that are written down? And I didn't know even where to begin. So like I used the internet as one does um, and uh, found that like there, there's kind of a variety of different interpretations. Um, the oldest piece of music that we have, um, we know it's music, but we lack the direct understanding of the codification and the notation that they used. So we can determine things like the tempo and key and some of the notes-ish used, but it's hard to, with certainty to say like what they meant it to be performed like. Right. Um, and that is roughly like 3,000 years old, I think. Um, but there's a little bit more recent pieces like kind of sort of circa 2,000, 2,500 years ago um, that are written down in ways that we can understand. Like there's this, uh, um, it's I think a Greek tombstone or some, somewhere in sort of like the Mediterranean basin area um, that is, is like one of the oldest pieces that we have most of it. Um, and we, we do know how it, it would have been played and what instruments it would have been played on and that kind of thing. And you transcribed it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've, I've tried to transcribe a few sort of like of the more notable pieces that were kind of like historical moments or, uh, and, um, or honestly, some of it I, uh, very, uh, happily found that there was already like just normal notation or MIDI data for. Um, and that made life a lot easier than having to like figure out old codexes, luckily. Um, but, um, so yeah, so I, I, I wanted to take stuff like that and kind of, uh, in make versions that felt more like things that are, are modern and would be created now. Um, and so have used a lot of uh, synth software, um, most notably like some modular stuff uh, and um, it's sort of the beauty of apps and music software is that they tend to cost like a fraction of the price of the large synth equivalents. So without breaking the pocketbook, you can get into some very complicated gear. Um, which which is fun. And so it was sort of a, an experience of taking these things that feel very cutting edge and very like new, new modern tools mm -hmm. um, and uh, trying to adapt something that is incredibly old to them. Um, and just sort of learned a lot about like really ancient music along the way, which was really fun. Um, and I imagine... Was it like written for one instrument? Or? Um, it kind of depends. Uh, the they have ensembles. The Greek, the Greek piece that I mentioned, which I think was like a funeral piece, would have been for a vocalist, a percussionist, and a stringed instrument. Okay. Um, I think their stringed instruments are sort of like a three or four stringed, uh, kind of like a proto lute type thing, um, and I think the the percussion more than likely would have been like a large stretched drum. Oh yeah. Like the medieval 
big tambourine type things. I don't know what those are called. I don't know either. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's kind of gi- like a giant tambourine without the the metal bits. Wow. Oh yeah. Um. But yeah. So that's that's been kind of a a fun project, and uh, I'm. I I also while recording that stuff and like learning the the music tried to write things that felt inspired by that um or also synthesizers tend to kind of have a mind of their own sometimes and you kind of set up like a a science experiment almost where you set up the initial conditions and then just kind of see where it goes and so there were some where the initial conditions involved programming the uh, the music and then giving it elements of chance and giving the computer sort of decision-making power to do things with the elements of randomness. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of fun because sometimes it takes you to places that really you didn't expect to end up. That's cool. Did you, I guess, had to hear it piece at a time and then put it together and then like, wow, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, it it really. Um, you didn't know how, like, even though it was written, you hadn't heard it anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, there there oh. were definitely moments like that where you kind of you so you put the just, puzzle together. You, yeah, you you give sort of frameworks for the settings to be within certain parameters, or you you say like, okay, I want it to start doing this, but then add a certain element of like things change X percentage over time. Um, then I imagine you would go back and like 3,000 years ago, what kind of instruments were they playing with? Yeah. Like then studying the instruments. Yeah. It's a, I, I did try to do some stuff with, obviously a lot of those old instruments we don't really have anymore, but mm-hmm. there, were, there were some where I tried to uh, sort of include the uh, synthesizer equivalent of, of some of those things. So like if something was plucked, uh, I would start with like uh, a heart sound, you know, or something uh, that like a um, just that would have a similar sort of uh, dynamic and and timbre. Yeah, and then from there adding uh, effects or a, a variety of having it kind of interact and interplay with other things and exist in the same reverbs as other synthesizers that are also playing that part you get kind of like doubled parts of something that sounds acoustic and then something that sounds electronic playing the same thing or sometimes in like different octaves so that it's it's kind of stacked right yeah it feels kind of full on the spectrum um so yeah that's been sort of a something that i've done i just for fun really like it was really fun learning about all those things and it it was fun to create things that didn't have any parameters really like i could make them as long or as short as i felt they needed to be or as as thing you know you could just loop things and continue to explore if you feel like it needs another moment or another idea or something and so as it 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 went along i feel like it's become like a collection of little like almost like study notes of of learning about these old things and then little moments in time of me just kind of having like a zen writing recording moment 
without like the intention of making it something that I had to perform later or, or, or make it, you know, up to a certain standard or anything. It was just like, I'm just in, in the moment making sounds that I wanted to hear. Um, and it's been really nice that it, as, as it's, I'm, I'm pretty much finished, uh, mastering the album. Um, and I, I just keep enjoying listening to it. It's it's nice to put on. What's it going to be under? Uh, probably the Space Cadet. Uh, I've released a couple other ambient albums, so I think it it feels somewhat akin to that. And there's elements of like trippy sound design that kind of resonate with that project. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the the album is going to be called Forgotten Melodies, uh-huh. um, and I'm shooting to put that out. Uh, probably in November, probably for eleven eleven. Nice. What would you say your strengths and weaknesses as an artist are? Um, strength. Let's start with strengths because it's more fun. Um, I feel like I. I I rarely run out of ideas, which is kind of a blessing. Or just in most creative situations, I'm not... There's just always something popping into my head being like, oh, what if you did this? Or what if you said this right now? Or what if you asked them to do something different? Or like, what if you said, what if we tried this? You know, it's like a constant stream of like, what ifs? And so I... I suppose it's a strength. It feels kind of like a blessing just to be able to have like this constant little like stream of things that you can reach up and pluck something out of and, and run run off with. Oh. Um, but I don't know if that's really something that I like as a strength in the sense of something that I like have, have purposefully developed. It just feels like something that's ongo- ongoing oh. or a voice that I can't turn off. So childlike sense of curiosity annoying sometimes honestly when you're trying to like enjoy something just at home for fun or and then your brain is like picking it apart and saying hey what if this you're like just just shut up right now just shut up um uh weaknesses uh i don't know i sometimes feel like I'm kind of bad at reading people or like also uh, mis- kind of misinterpret people sometimes. And so from that kind of makes situations awkward, not kind of unintentionally, I guess, or just because I misinterpreted something or mm, that feels like a not strength. I guess that would be... It's kind of a struggle, I guess, more so than a... Artistic weakness. Weakness. Um, Artistic weakness? Um, Probably doing too many things. Um, I sometimes feel like if I had just picked one, uh, one thing to do, that I would be much better at it than any of the, like, five things that I try to do. On a regular basis, um, what would you say are the five things you do? Oh, that's just that was 
random. I, it's probably more than five. Um, I like uh, guitar, uh, various forms of electronic, which is mainly kind of different if I'm making ambient or music with drums. Um, it's much more technical and feels like writing. I'm doing music with drums, and it's much more like painting or like abstract when I'm doing ambient music. Right. Um, yeah, it kind of times everything. Yeah. Visual art, which uh, typically over the last few years has been digital, but recently I've been drawing again, and I used to draw a lot in uh, art school. Um, just kind of for fun with the drawing. Uh, and, well, uh, lap steel, which is kind of different. Um, I, I play slide guitar, so there's sort of an element of translation there that goes from one to the other. Uh, but it's it's definitely its own beast, and a lot of the old school country stuff and super Hawaiian sounding stuff is kind of tricky and not the way you would normally play a guitar. So yeah. learning stuff like that's kind of fun and kind of its own world, yeah. I guess. Um, that's five. Yeah, all different perspectives. And I don't know. There, there's also there's honestly often smaller creative projects that kind of pop up that I'm like, oh, I've got to make this music video for something, or like some promo, or um, sometimes just writing whatever pops into your head just for the sake of like sitting down and writing stuff, and it feels cathartic. Yeah. But that's that's less that's more of like a hobby or a fun thing to do. Not really like a, a writer. Kind of a lyricist, not really a writer. No worries. How would you best describe the type of artist you are? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, hopefully passionate. Um, weird. Uh, trying, trying very hard to to do my own thing. Um, and. And juggle my very weird and sort of disparate interests. I think most people are not into like noisy electronic music and Hank Williams. Um, so yeah, uh, quirky. Quirky would be a good term. Quirky artist. Uh, hopefully, slightly like mystical. Whimsical. Oh well, whimsical too, but mystical. Yeah. But yeah, a little of both, I think. I, I like whimsy. I like things that are sort of floaty and ambiguous. Um, yeah. Nice. Okay, so <laughs> you have been in Nashville now for how long? Mm, since 2009. Oh, okay. So, like 14, 13, 14 years. And for college, what, Belmont? Uh, I went to Belmont for a semester and uh, then transferred to MTSU uh, okay. in Murfreesboro. Um, and what, uh, what has kept you here? Hmm. Um, well, up until sort of the availability of housing and pricing kind of going up of the last few years, uh, it's a relatively cheap place to live. Uh, with a lot of other musicians and a lot of uh, creative environments and studios and opportunities. Um, and my friends were here and family was here. And 
So it's, yeah. it's been a decent home base. Yeah. I, I like the art scene. I uh, for a while, right after I uh, graduated college, uh, there were a lot of really cool house shows and kind of local music scene stuff going on that I I went out and did, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, it it feels like home to to a degree, but yeah. I don't know. I definitely I don't think I want to stay here forever. Definitely been considering as of late, maybe relocating somewhere. Oh yeah. Or just traveling more, trying to trying to see more of the world. Change up the scenery. Yeah. So it, it it definitely after a while of of being in the same place for a really long time, it uh. Places change, and the people who you used to hang out with kind of move away or do other things. And sometimes, instead of reinventing yourself, it's it's more fun to go and see what else is going on in the world. Yeah. So we'll see. But I'm not I'm not been unhappy here. It's yeah. definitely a cool place. What is what would you say you, you've learned living here? So much about music. So much about like different genres of music and how music is performed and how concerts are put on and organized and production and recording. And it's a, it's a wonderfully populated place that has like all these people who are super nerds who have like an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, recording or old country records or you know whatever they're into crazy shreddy licks or what yeah yeah whatever their their little focus is it's a it's a town of people who have like very awesome uh interests yeah. niche interests and it's a, it's a cool place to be surrounded by by people who want to share their the stuff they're passionate with you are in in the artsy world you know yeah and you see people go for it here. It's true. That people honestly, are, people say people don't say why would you do this. They say why not. Yeah, I think I think that's that's an element, and 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 to a degree, like there's an element of competitiveness as well. Uh, not in like a an aggressive kind of way, but just kind of a a standard. They like read the room. You know, yeah. like uh, it, it's kind of like okay, you go to New York City, yeah, and it, rent there is so absolutely expensive. That most restaurant that you're going to go into is going to be good because they have to be really good to stay open. If they're not really good, people are going to go to one of the other really good restaurants and they won't be able to afford the rent. And Nashville is a little bit like that with music. If you're not at least like entertaining, no one's going to, there's so much entertainment that you're not going to be able to make it. And so every Everyone here holds themselves to more of a standard and puts on more of a show and is is more exuberant. But also on the flip side, sometimes it does create crowds that are really reticent to dance. Yeah. Well, the music of industry, like all the watch this, I won't have a good time. Yeah, no, say with my beer and say, hey, oh, these guys are pretty good. Yeah. There's a lot of that. But it's also a true testament that if you are playing a show in Nashville and it is rowdy as hell, that you are putting on a good fucking show. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you kind of earn it. Once yeah, at that point. you do earn it. You it really makes you, you gotta like 
Learning, learning your instrument. Your like, yeah, when I when I first moved here in 2009, it was such a, a, a life-altering realization of, like, I went from one of, like, three or four guitar players in my high school, and I was probably the best. I was probably the most accomplished musician in my high school, to, whoa, I'm not, I'm not very good. I think we're like shit. Like everyone here is so good. Was this like high school in France? Yeah, or? yeah. When I was in a fairly small, small class in a small kind of schooling environment, so there just weren't very many musical people. Um, yeah, the and, education. I guess. Uh, so, but yeah, moving here was like an eye-opening experience of I, I really need to practice quite a bit. Yeah, you had <laughs> that talk with to, yourself. Yeah. But well, you know, sometimes that's the uh, I think that's a good experience for young musicians to have, right? Like you, you, you want it to kind of scare you when you go there. Yeah, right? you, you you want to grow, and, or or be just be aware. Like this is what you're getting into. This is this is probably the standard that you're going to have to hold yourself to if you want to do this professionally or like be have, be any good at it and have stamina. Once you get there, you got to hold it. Oh, and it goes away so quick. If you're not practicing, like you stop for a few weeks and it's it's gone. That or your success. You know, even if you get successful, now you have to sustain your success. True. True. You know I mean? It worked because you were working your ass off and you but better once you keep get on there, doing now that. the work starts. Yeah, big exactly. Time. Exactly. Because now you have fans that pay big money to see you. And I have expectations and yeah, yeah. Yeah. The piece gets bigger and bigger. But yeah, you can glimpse all of that here, I think. You Definitely. You, you can, can learn see about the spectrum, all of that. The spectrum yeah. of yeah. where people are at, what they're doing, and how serious they are. And they're like, okay. Yeah. Okay, great. What is some advice you'd give to someone who's going to move here and do art? Uh, all this is some advice that uh, a uh, a very nice producer uh, who uh, let me interview them uh, for a class project gave me uh, Daryl Brown, who uh, produces sort of like pop and country music and stuff. Uh, he said, if you want to like write songs like the people that you look up to you need to learn about the music that they were listening to and the, the shit that they were influenced by right like very rarely do writers create something as unique and original and interesting as something that they look up to if that's one of the only things that you're experiencing or say you're experiencing that and other things imitating that that you have this sort of limited sense of where that music would have come from um and that it's it's always a worthwhile experience and can be very eye-opening um to find out what those people were influenced by and what they were listening to when uh when they were creating that stuff that's probably not what you're listening to now right you know and i think that's been an invaluable sort of 
piece of advice as a writer or is like setting out to try to create certain styles or genres or play certain things with certain people. Um, it definitely helps to insert yourself into the mind of, of that person and wonder like, or even like what would they have been reading or what, would they, what movie came out that year? Oh yeah. I love that. Yeah. I've been doing that method with this band called Ministry, reading the autobiography. We were talking about them last, yeah, last dude, time. Been, That's nuts. I've been going like extremely deep. It's it's so, so cool to I'm see studying the Persian Gulf War right now. I'm sure it's not it what about, you I'm sure like yeah, their influences are not some of it's just not what you expected at all. I I love that. I think I don't know. I think some of the best artists are like, at least in their interests, multifaceted, you know, like, and there's something to be said for being like, wow, I really, really love modal jazz. And that's all I listen to. And I'm extremely proficient at it. But I don't know. I mean, listen to a little funk or something, man. Or like, like you know? you only play in an orchestra where it's little... like, has to be played this way. Yeah. And you never jam with people. You only play, yeah, you know, which is a different skill set, kind of, because execution. execution and finesse and like tone are like you have to have it down to a science, and you, it has to be replicable every single time, right. you know. But I don't know if people who know how to play orchestral level violin necessarily have writing or improvisational skills unless that's something that they like developed also you know yeah uh, let's... okay um what what is where's your favorite place to play mm. here in town um there's a couple venues uh I've had fun playing Betty's. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, yeah, uh, Betty's. Betty's is a sort of a bastion of uh, letting weirdos do their stuff. Right. Which I, I, I greatly appreciate. Um, and it, it maintains the certain dive bariness that I think is appropriate for a venue like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I like their... Uh, more recently, I really enjoyed playing at uh, Vinyl Tap Vinyl over Tap. here. Oh, yeah, dude. I love good vibes. Vinyl Tap. Very really good vibes. vibes. Like, I love the idea of having a record store where you can have a beer. That's yeah. brilliant. Um, and it's cool to be able to just see, like, it's like a vibey little place. Like, they've, got, they've got something going. Um, played there, I think, last year for the first time. Um, and kind of discovered that little block. Yeah, dude, it's a it's cool a, spot. It's a great, little charming, spot. very charming. Yeah, I like they got the little, the little skate shop. With yeah, the, the, the mini the skate children ramp. Can play and it made, it like... made me want to bring my skateboard. I was like, damn, they got the mini ramp. That's yeah. like about as adventuresome as I'm ready to get. Yeah, but no, it, it good vibes over there. I would, I, it, I would recommend, I would recommend seeing a show there. If, yeah, if anyone hasn't, that's a yeah, that's vinyl a cool spot. Get some records. And, and some a music. variety of stuff too. They um they seem to I've only seen a, f a few shows. Oh yeah. But uh they do record store day really well. Oh, I bet. I bet that would be fun. Dream Burger or Dream Ooh. Yeah, Dream Burger Nash. Heck yeah. 
Smash Burgers. Those are really good. Okay. <clears throat> um, so, looking back as an artist here from all your time, what are some of the biggest hurdles or obstacles you've had to overcome? And how did you? Biggest hurdles or obstacles? How did you overcome them? Hmm. I think for a while, I really struggled to care about holding myself to a certain standard of recording. Um, and just kind of recorded stuff on my laptop or with weird little handheld mics and recorders and purposely made things very lo-fi and DIY and, and enjoyed that world. Um, and while it's like an interesting aesthetic, I don't think you can kind of like survive as a musician and recording artist just doing that. Um, especially if you're trying to sort of live in multiple worlds. Um, so sort of learning enough about engineering and holding myself to a standard of, of mixing stuff uh, that... I'm like happy with the result that I, I can feel confidently like this is this is up to snuff. It may not be like incredible. It may not be the best, but it's it's professional. You know? um, that took a really long time to get to that level and also really push myself to want to achieve. I feel like a lot of things happen to, to our generation kind of like that. Like, did you have a moment where they had to like ban headphones? Everybody started getting oh, iPods. Yeah. There was like a minute Definitely. where you could kind of bring your iPod and be you doing this, the and they'd be like, button. "No more." Yeah, yeah. And then they're like, "No, nah, people text. No texting. No in texting class. in class." Yeah. And then at one point, I heard from a teacher a couple of years ago that air dropping was really huge in the classroom. Oh yeah, you could send I'm a sure picture to like many people. So yeah, we exactly. never did that. Exactly. I was like, that was after. That's time. funny. That's some Zoomer shit. Exactly. And they're like, they're like, yeah, airdropping was huge because they could drop it to like everyone in the classroom. Oh, wow. And they'd, everyone would it's open probably it. Probably making fun of the teacher. Exactly. Oh, so man, then they could share awesome. stuff. And I was like, rowdy. oh, wow. That sounds real rowdy. Because I think in high school we had um, Yik Yak, which was like the, the platform where everyone was like basically anonymous. Hmm. I think I just had MySpace in high school. MySpace, oh yeah. <laughs> MySpace, dude. Yeah, those were the days. I don't remember any, I forgot all the bands and artists that got big on MySpace and then their careers took off. A lot, a lot. Definitely like some of those like mid 2000s indie band stuff. Yeah. Uh, so you talked earlier about do you watch a lot of YouTube uh, or how do you consume yeah your uh, I um I watch things on YouTube but usually like specific channels content like people that I follow or people that I like um I don't really go down like YouTube rabbit holes um I feel like I do use TikTok occasionally for like just general quick entertainment like kind of just scrolling and i kind of use instagram sometimes but i must i mostly use that to communicate with people actually 
um, or like advertise music related stuff or like share art. Um, and then I use Reddit also. That's a little bit more specific. Like just follow certain subreddits that are like pertain to my niche. Have you been um, reading any books lately? Yeah, definitely. So we were just talking about the um, Alan Moore. Uh, uh, so his newest book, Jerusalem, is super heady. Um, it's kind of dense, honestly. I had to. I was like really slow at first, um, but I got the audiobook from the library. So now I'm like audiobooking and reading at the same time, um, and it really helped because a lot of it is set in uh, England, mm. and um, a lot of the locations and character names and words are kind of like English jargon. And also some of the stuff that happens further back in the past is like old English-ish. Um, so it really helps with comprehension to hear a person with the proper accent and pronouncing it correctly and stuff. Um, but yeah, anyway, Heady Book, it, uh, it kind of describes the neighborhood where Alan Moore is from. Um, and you see it through the perspective of a bunch of different characters from throughout history. Um, and there's some sort of mysterious, supernatural, spiritual phenomenon afoot that sort of links the characters. Pretty heady. Oh. Definitely enjoying that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty voracious reader. Uh, mostly fiction? Mostly fiction, yeah. Uh, I read musical biographies and stuff about music kind of occasionally, but th that's the most like nonfiction that I really read. What a genre of fiction would you say? Sci-fi? Jump around. I love sci-fi. Fantasy? Sci-fi, fantasy, is definitely, yeah. Main, those, those would probably be my main genres. Um, I also like some horror stuff, like Stephen King, and um, just some general fiction also. Um, kind of like, not really like old classic stuff, but like I guess stuff that would be like 20th century classics or, or things like that. Um, what are your favorite books? Favorite books? Uh, Neil Gaiman is probably my favorite author. So probably one of his books. American Gods. American Gods is incredible. That would be, that's up there. I think my favorite is probably Good Omens, which he wrote with Terry Pratchett, who's another, another favorite. Um, that one's particularly funny, and um, the show is actually a really, really excellent adaptation. Um, it has. Uh, is it HBO? What is? It? I think it is HBO. Okay. It stars uh, David Tennant, who was Doctor Who at one point, uh, um, and Michael Sheen. Uh, he's in a ton of stuff. I'm sure you'd recognize him. Uh, he's the evil Volturi vampire in the Twilight uh, movies. Hmm. Um, but he's he's been in, he's been acting for years. Anyway, yeah, um, I would say I would say a, a Neil Gaiman novel. I have a few different favorites. American Gods would be up there. Um, honestly, the whole Sandman comic series is incredible. Um, Sandman. <clears throat> that's uh, kind of how how Neil got started in the or got big in the eighties and early nineties. Um, is through that comic. Very cool. Sweet. Well, is there anything else you would like to add that I might not have asked you about? 
No, not particularly. Okay. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, <clears throat> what is something absurd you ever do? That's what? Something absurd that you oh, love to do. Something absurd I love to do. Or it could be a thing you love. Um, that's a that's a that's a good question. Can't come up with an easy answer. Got to think about it. So when you're a little kid, you would say absurd, like weird things to people. Oh yeah. Um. Well, I don't know. I guess there's funny things that only are funny to me because um, I I don't know. There, there's just sort of like weird things that wouldn't really make sense. Like, okay, so you know how you get stuff stuck in your head, like a song or sometimes I get stuff stuck in my head that's just like a quote from a movie or something or like a... a one not even like a song but just like a particular line from a song over and over it's really kind of annoying uh but like as like a defense mechanism towards that i like have certain things that are like weird and like not really are re completely out of context and that often pop into my brain they're like from just media that are like almost like a subconscious reaction to things or like if somebody mentions something like something pops into my brain so i kind of have to like sing that part of that otherwise it makes me really uncomfortable to have to suppress that sing that part of it well or or not just say it like um if i say u-haul and then u-haul trucks keep popping in your head do you then drive it's not that particularly usually it's um one word from a line in a movie or a song that then triggers me having to sing or act out a larger part of the scene from said media. And a lot of the times I do it in my head because I'm in a social situation where that would be weird. Um, sometimes I do it around my friends that I'm really comfortable with because they know that it's just like a stupid thing that I do. Yeah, um, yeah that's quirky. <laughs> I don't know if that's more like a neuroses or or, or or than a quirk, or, but uh, it's not a uh, not dangerous. So. Yeah, yeah, it works for you. It's it's pretty annoying to my wife, probably, but yeah, she's like she's tired. Of it. Oh, she's I'm, like, shut the fuck up. Like, don't I, sing it. I know what movie you're talking about. Oh, she, yeah, she knows, and she knows what's are like big triggers too. So somebody will say something, and she'll look over at me and be like, "Are you gonna say it?" What is like an example? Um, any line in the movie Walk Hard. Most lines from the movie The Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of Grateful Dead lyrics. He's like, I'm a pacifist. Not numb, of course. <laughs> no. Donnie, you're out of your element. Yeah, dude. Oh, Walter I love so that. Yeah, there's so many, a firearm during so many play. quality, quality quotes from that movie. Um, yeah. And, and then, I don't know, just weird songs. Um, yeah. 
You see what happens, Larry? You see what? Oh, so do you know the bit about that line being different in the uh, TV rated version of that movie? There's a TV rated? Yes. Okay, so they had to adapt certain of the jokes from The Big Lebowski for television because they were deemed too crude. Now, most of them aren't really noticeable, but the big one is, do you see what happens, Larry, when you fuck a stranger in the ass? And hilariously, instead of saying something lame that makes sense, they changed it to find a stranger in the Alps. So in the TV version, he yells, do you see what happens, Larry, when you find a stranger in the Alps? It's amazing. Oh. It's like is it still, purposeful is it still uh, John Goodman saying the same? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think they wow. had him like overdub it because he's kind of distant. Like, you see it from across the street, right? As he's like bashing the car, right? So I think they just dubbed that line. Wow, it's so silly. One of my favorite movie facts. <laughs> and then he's like, "Fuck you, man!" And then he grabs the crowbar and starts beating the shit out of the dude's car. <laughs> And then it's the choice. You That's go, not his car. Do you want to go to uh, uh, In and Out? There's like eating burgers and those are some good car. burgers, Walter. Yeah, dude. And uh, dude's driving his car. They're just eating burgers, <laughs> and the windshield's destroyed. Yeah, I fucking love that. Yeah, cool. Well, hard not to hard not to quote that movie. I know. Man. Must must use restraint. Right. Go down a rabbit hole. That one. Same with, have you ever seen Half-Baked? Yeah. I discovered both of those at the same time. Two whole pizzas. Yeah. Two liters of soda. And bunions. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. All right. Well Thank you for coming over. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad this worked out. Yeah. We did too. it. We did it. Pow more power to us. Oh. <laughs>